Hey, good morning. My name is Brandon, uh, as she said. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Sojourn Heights. Uh, we, we are taking a week off from our series in 1 Corinthians um, today. Before I tell you what we're going to talk about, I want to frame it up this way. Uh, I want to frame it with a series of statements, things that are said from parents to children, spouse to spouse, from friend to friend, person to person. Uh, and then after, I want to ask you a question. All right? I'll give you the answer. Don't worry about it. Here they are. You ready? Statement one. You're too fat. For the record, I am not saying that to anybody. You will never amount to anything. I thought you loved me. My life would be better if you were never born. I wish you were as good at sports as your brother or your sister. Your brother, your sister, they make straight A's. Why can't you? Maybe from a spouse, I, I don't really love you and, and really never have. I don't enjoy sex with you. I wish I could go back in time, because if I could, I would not have married you. So here's my question. What do those statements have in common? Here's the answer. They were all words spoken from one person to another. Words that have lasting impacts on our life. Words that create pain that doesn't just go away with a Band-Aid. Let me tell you the single biggest fraud in human history. There's been one fraud that has outdone all other frauds in human history. And here it is. You ready? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but lies, absolute lies right there. Some of us are living with the effects of words spoken to us as children. Because sticks and stones, like they, a cast can fix the damage that they do, but, but the pain of words spoken to us can and often does last a lifetime, the motivational structures that sit inside of our life, who we are, what, what matters to us as adults are often the effects of words spoken to us in the past and often the effects of words spoken to us as children. So I want to give you one example from my life. This is a humiliating story because I am a 40-year-old man with children and I'm going to tell you a story from junior high, but that is what it is. Uh, so like a lot of us, I, I came from a, from a broken home, parents divorced when I was four. I had a dad who loved sports, who just die hard, all things Houston uh, Oilers, back in the day if you know who they were, uh, Astros, Rockets, just, just die hard sports fan. And I was a die hard child longing for the words, I'm proud of you from his father. And so for me, that meant I, I will succeed at sports. I had a problem talent. That was my problem, but I knew, like, I'm going to succeed. So eighth grade rolls around, uh, and uh, basketball season hits, and I, like, I wanted nothing more than to make the A team. Like, that's what I wanted. So there was like an A team, a B team, A team good, B team not as good. It, in my day, in my school, no one got cut. So everyone that didn't make the A team made the B team. That's how it worked. Worked my tail off. I, uh, I, Seventh grade, I was B team. Eighth grade, I made the A team. Uh, it didn't matter that I didn't get to play much because in my junior high mind, and I didn't get to play much, hardly at all, really, uh, but in my junior high mind, uh, my dad got to see me run out of the locker room with those guys. That's what mattered. 
So I did it. Like all the athletic affirmation that I wanted, I was living into it. I was receiving it in, in my 13-year-old head. And then at the end of the season, season's over, I'm in the locker room, coach walks up to me and just says, hey, I, I just I want to apologize for putting you on the A team. You really belonged on the B team where you could play. And I was crushed. Like my, that was my word. My words to him were, hey, no problem. And he left and I sat there. And 27 years later, I can feel today what it felt like to hear him say those words. Like I can imagine the conversation and I can feel what I felt as a teenager. Just like that. And I left that day and said, I will never be on the B team again. Either I will be the best at what I do or I won't do it. Those are the options. I, I will never feel what I felt on that day, in that moment, again. And the reality is and the truth is that much of my adult life has been spent trying to run from and avoid feeling the inferiority and the rejection I felt in that moment. It was a shaping moment in my life where I just went, I am not going to do this again. I will not. I will either be the best or I won't do it. It's the way my life is going to roll. By the end of the sermon, I am going to need a counseling session from Dots. <laughs> the reality is that words have powerful effects on our lives. They have lasting, long-standing effects on who we are, how we live. And so here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this. Here's the title of our sermon. The art of blessing. The power of our words to build up or to tear down. The art of blessing, the power of our words to build up or to tear down. Why did I include the word blessing? It seems a bit archaic. It seems unnecessary. Uh, well, I included it for two reasons. One, it, it's a word that a lot of Christians use, but we don't often know what we mean by it. We don't have a real definition for it. It just, which is why it comes with a lot of baggage. Um, and I'm hoping that we, we can redeem it a bit today. Uh, and then, reason two is that blessing is a central theme woven throughout the Bible from beginning to end. It sits at the heart of the storyline of the scriptures, and blessing began with a word spoken. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to trace that word from beginning to end, which means, yes, we are doing a sermon on the entire Bible. I hope you don't have lunch plans. I'm kidding. Actually, I am kidding. With 30 minutes, there, there will just be mountains unspoken that, um, that maybe we'll come back to another day. But what we're going to do is we're going to trace blessing from what the Bible calls creation, beginning of the story, to recreation, the very end of the story, where God takes all that he created that went wrong and makes it eternally right. But we'll get to that. So creation to recreation, that's what we're going to do. And as we do, we're going to see four things. One, speaking of blessing, what it is why we need it, how we get it, and how we be a community of it. So what it is, why we need it, how we get it, and how we be a community uh, of it. So let's go to Genesis 1. Beginning of the story, Genesis 1, God creates. Three times in Genesis 1 and 2, it says God, God blesses. And the three things are creation, people, and, uh, and the seventh day. And so for clarity's sake, what I want to do is zero in on uh, people. So Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
And God said it to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And of dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over, the, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, right out the gate, here, God creates, he creates man. What's the first thing he does? Male, female, in the image of God he created them and God blessed them. So, immediate creation, blessing, right away. God creates and God blesses. The first thing he does is with the word blesses uh, his creation. And then verse 31, the beginning of verse 31, it says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So God looks at all he did. He looks at all of his creation uh, and he says, hey, this, is, this is good. In fact, this is, this is really good. Um, and in chapters one and two, 10 times God said it's good. So we have blessing and then we have it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, rhythmically throughout. And the point being that blessing and good in creation are interwoven, connected ideas. They are connected ideas, which is why uh, Dallas Willard, pastor, theologian, defines blessing like this. Uh, he defined it like this, the projection of good into the life of another. What, what I want to do is I want to add a bit to his definition, one word. I just want to add one word to his definition I think makes it more uh, robust. The projection of, this is how I define blessing. The projection of divine good into the life of another. Projection of divine good into the life of another. I think this is theological definition out of creation, practical definition that we can get to, but, but drawn right out of the connection of the ideas of blessing and good from Genesis 1, and blessing that always comes from God. There's not, there's not a cr blessing in creation that doesn't come from God. There's something else that uh, we need to see in the creation account when it comes to uh, blessing, and it's this, that blessing comes before work. So it blesses them and then says, go and subdue. He blesses and then says, go and work and keep the garden, which means from Adam down to us, the invitation was to live from blessing, not for blessing. Radically different lives. From Adam down to us, the invitation was to live from blessing, not for blessing. And this is key because the reality is, and here's the truth, we really can't go any farther in the Bible if we don't understand this. Like we don't see this as the heartbeat of, in a sense, the storyline that began in Genesis 1 and 2. We really can't go any farther. That God created to live from blessing, not for blessing. It was, Adam, you have it, now go work from it. Not, Adam, go work so that you can earn it. Radically different lives. That from Adam down to us, what we see in God immediately creating and then saying, blessed, good. We see that there is this deep sense of being known, loved, and wanted that is intended to mark humanity. The sense of being known, loved, and wanted that's intended to mark the image of God on his creation, which is why the phrase, you don't have to earn my approval, is meant to mark humanity, meant to mark us. You don't have to earn it. It's meant to be you have it, now go live from it. Which is why the affirmation and approval of our parents is something we so desperately want as children. 
that unconditional love of a parent is something we're just born naturally wanting. It's why the disapproval of parents hurts the way that it does. It's also why things unsaid, if we think about children to parent, parent to children, it's why things unsaid hurt as much as things that are said. Because we're born longing to hear, I'm proud of you. We're born longing to hear, I love you. You know why? Simply because I do. I love you because I love you because I love you. And when we don't feel that, and we don't hear that, that creates as much pain as things that are said. It's why when a father figure in my life, when I was 33 years old at a coffee shop, said to me, uh, I would have loved to have been your daddy. I just buckled crying in public. 33, Starbucks. Crying. You'd have come over and asked if I was okay. That's why what, it's because what's said and what's unsaid just creates lasting pain. God created us to live from being known, loved, and wanted, not in order to be known, loved, and wanted. But life says, and real life says, that something went horribly wrong, which takes us from what blessing is to why we need it. One chapter later in Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, here, here's what's going on in the garden. Here's what we see in the garden. We see Satan's timeless lie. You know what the lie was? God is withholding blessing from you. You know, you know, why, uh, you, you know why God doesn't want you to do that? Because he's withholding from you. He is withholding his blessing from you. And he got them to believe that there was more blessing to be found by walking away from God than by obeying God. Satan's timeless, perpetual lie that there was a greater good to be found away from God than there was in obedience to God, which is why the next verse in verse 6 goes like this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, she went on and she ate. She saw that it was good. There's greater good out there and away. And what happened in this moment was that uh, what was ushered into humanity was the opposite of blessing and what the Bible calls cursing. And so let me define cursing for you. I'm stealing this definition from a, a pastor in New York called John, named John Tyson. He's not called, he's named. You can call him that, I assume. Here's a definition. The rejection of or resistance to God's intentions, which produces dysfunction in our lives and ultimately our destruction. I'm going to read it again. The rejection of or resistance to God's intentions, which produces dysfunction in our lives and ultimately our destruction. That when we, when we trace the Bible forward, here's what we're going to find. We're going to find that Genesis 3 and this curse, this is the root. Like this sits at the root, but that root has all kinds of fruit that sprouts up in the lives uh, of, 
uh, of uh, not just uh, Israel and God's people, but the world, right? So from, for example, uh, generational brokenness, right? The, the dysfunction passed down from parent to child, or from, from child to their children. Generational uh, brokenness, some of which are not so much. I mean, many of us just live in that. We, uh, we lived far too familiar lives of generational brokenness. Another example, um, words and their wounding, right? How a, uh, a loose word from someone can be like a splinter in your soul that when it gets infected can lead to uh, years of pain, depression, anxiety, you fill in the blank. Another is uh, lies that we believe. Specifically, lies we believe about ourselves and specifically around the area of being known, loved, and wanted. And so the lie that uh, the, the lie that we believe often goes like this. If I'm truly known, I will not be loved. If you knew me, you wouldn't love me. Right? If, 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 if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. It's why, I'm not going to project this on everybody, it's why for me, there was a good season where I, I didn't want Amanda to really know the real me. Because if she did, she'd walk away. Right. It's why we create the image, in particular in the early uh, stages of, of a dating relationship. If I'm known, I won't be loved. But even if I am loved, I won't really be wanted around here. So if I'm known, I won't be loved. If I am loved, it's because you're obligated to, and you don't really want me around here. These are the effects of Satan's timeless lie being lived, being lived out in the rest of humanity. Genesis 3 perverts the blessing. Satan uses words to do it. He uses words uh, to do it. So God did something about it. And we fast forward to Genesis 12. It says, Now the Lord said it to Abram, who would become uh, Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he says to Abraham, go, I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing, so you can go and model this new way of life, this, this way of living that comes from approval, not in order to earn approval, from love, not for uh, love, but if you have any understanding of the Old Testament, here's the narrative. Uh, God creates a nation called Israel who are meant to be uh, this, uh, this community that distributed the blessing of God both among themselves and to their neighbors, the nations, uh, who really didn't live up to their end of the bargain. I mean, there were glimpses and moments and times we got glimpses of this kind of blessing lived out and blessing distributed, but as a whole, it, it looked like train wreck after train wreck after train wreck. Like the Old Testament um, paints this picture of them searching for blessing in other gods, searching for what God is withholding through other gods, right? Which at the end of the day is really what an idol is. It's where we think we're going to get what we believe God is withholding from us, right? So if we're running after an idol over here, it's to fill the gap in what we think God is not offering to us, not giving to us. So the Old Testament paints this picture of humanity still created in the image of God, but enjoying the blessing of it only marginally. Only marginally. And so, what does God do? God enters into the story himself. And in 
John 1, 1, it opens up like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became man. That Word became man, and Jesus is not called the Word by accident. Jesus is blessing incarnate. He is the Word spoken in Genesis 1 coming to life. He is the blessing of God in human form, and he is the one who, Galatians 3, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come through the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, that on the cross Jesus was rejected. He experienced curse so that we could receive blessings, so that we could experience acceptance so that you and I can hear the words known, loved, and wanted coming through him so that you and I don't have to live lives of doubt. Does God love me? Does God not? Can live from eternal acceptance, not for eternal acceptance. And in Christ, we get a taste of eternity today. Ephesians 1 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So how do we get it? By faith in Christ. You have today in Christ heavenly blessings. You have all that you will ever need today in Christ. There's nothing that you will need 10,000 years from now that you can't find in him today. And inversely, there's nothing you have today apart from him that you're going to need 10,000 years from Now, how do I know? Because here's how the story of the Bible ends. Revelation 22, 14, this is the very end in the heart of recreation. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and that they may enter into the city by the gates. That what we see in Revelation 22, Jesus has come down. He has brought the new creation. He has redeemed creation. And he returns and we hear the words, Blessed, blessed are you. Blessed, you have eternal acceptance because in Revelation 22, we have the complete and eternal reversal of Genesis 3. Complete, eternal reversal of Genesis 3. We have eternal acceptance and approval that everyone knows that God loves, wants you. All because God entered in, all because God came and took on the curse, all because Jesus was rejected so that you and I could be accepted. So how do we get it? You want the blessing of God, it comes through the Son of God. Well, the blessing of God, it comes through the Son of God. So here's the question. Here's the question. Because we live in between. Right? We live in between the times. Jesus has come. He has been resurrected. Um, we, we have what Ephesians 1 says we have today, but we're still waiting on the day that Revelation 22 depicts. So we live in between the times. So how then, as a community, do we live as a community of blessing in between the times? And this is where we get to uh, the art of blessing. It's called an art for a reason because it's not science. There's art to it, I think. Um, It's not one right way to be a community of blessing. Um, And there's a lot more to it than what I'm going to say, but I want to start with what it's not. Uh, Blessing is not flattery. It's not lying to one another. Like, hey, man, you're just a great husband. I haven't talked to my wife in weeks. That's a lie. 
It's not lying to one another. It's not flattering one another. It's speaking truth to one another for the aim of building one another up. And what it does to be a community of blessing takes us back to Genesis 1, and it says that we are a community reminding each other that in Christ we are known, loved, and wanted both with him and in this community. That's what it means to be a community of blessing. That with our words we remind one another that we are known, loved, and wanted both with him and in this community. That's what it means to be that kind of community. How do we do that? We do that with words. We do with words. There are other ways to do it, um, but I'm zeroing in on words. We we do the words because that's why James 3 says that from the same mouth can come cursing and blessing. This shouldn't be. We do the words. So what kind of words then build up? I, I'm going to give a couple of examples. Uh, I'm going to give a couple of examples, and I'm going to send us out with an assignment. First, the first kind, gracious and kind speech. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So a gracious word, uh, another translation is for that word is kind. Gracious and kind words are like um, honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul, health to the body. Why, uh, why are gracious and kind words sweet to the soul? Because they are reflections of the kindness of God. The kindness of God that Titus says appeared in the coming of the Son of Man. That when Jesus appeared, he brought the kindness of God into human form, and kind words are reflections of that. You know what's not a reflection of the kindness of God? Harsh, critical, and biting words. Jokes that aren't funny. Jokes at others' expense. And by harsh, critical, um, that, that doesn't mean... Uh, honest things that probably between a, a brother and a sister ought to be said, it means, say, it means saying it in a way that's intended to inflict pain. Harsh, critical, biting words. Kindness, gracious words, they draw people to Jesus. Harsh, critical, biting words push people away from Jesus. It's another way of saying kind builds up, harsh tears down. Here's another one, though. Blessing through gentle wounding. Gentle wounding. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, words from a friend can wound. But they don't stay wound. They become scars that are signs of healing. Right? The, the, the words from a friend that wound are like the doctor who does surgery, Right? He's got to do surgery to get the tumor out. Or if you've got a tumor, you go in. Um, he's got to cut you open in order to get the tumor out of you. And when they cut you open, we don't, we don't call that stabbing. We call that treatment. Because it's a wound that's intended to heal. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And the reality is that there are times when our soul needs surgery and we need a friend who is willing to do the surgery. But those words, while painful are not intended to inflict pain, they're intended to heal. And they're said in a way that reflects the kindness of God, the love of God, the compassion of God. They're not said in a way that reflects the wrath of God. 
And the reality is there are times when those words need to invoke fear over wrath. That's probably a different sermon. The words of a friend are intended to heal even the ones that create wounds. Here's another one. Through seeing someone. Blessing through seeing someone. John 4, 7. And yes, I, I pointed my mouth when I said seeing. That was intentional. John 4, 7, Jesus is with his disciples. It's a, it's a fairly well-known scene where a woman is coming to a well. So a woman comes from Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, in, in Jesus' day, if you're from Samaria, you, you aren't highly thought of. And if you're a woman uh, from Samaria, pretty low on the social order, social ladder. And Jesus goes out of his way to speak to her. He initiates conversation with her. He sees her and articulates that he sees her with his mouth. So you want a practical application of this? I'll, I'll give you two practical applications of this one. One, ways that we can be um, distributors of blessing. One, uh, when you pull up to an intersection and there's someone at the corner and they've got a sign in their hands, don't look down. Look them in the eye. Maybe even roll down the window and ask them their name. Jesus saw somebody that society overlooked, and he articulated that he saw them. Be a community following his example who sees people society overlooks and articulate that we see them. Here's another one. When there are people inside of our community uh, who, who, who you just to get a sense that they just feel like an outsider, feel like if, like if there's a God and he's real and he loves people, I can't be one of them because of X, Y, Z. When, somebody, when you just get that sense, look them in the eye and articulate that God loves them. Be willing to say the courageous words of you know that you're wanted here. You know that you're welcomed here. In this community as a reflection of being welcomed and wanted with the God who created you. So let me give you one more. Last one, blessing through words of affirmation. There are a lot more than these four uh, for the second time we're going to do these four. Blessing through words of affirmation, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers who empowers them all and everyone to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here, here's the, the point. Not all of us are gifted the same. We all have particular unique giftings. We, uh, we, we, there are some of us who are more generous than others. There are some who naturally serve people more than others. There, there are some of us um, who are really good at organizing life in a parish so that everyone else can just enjoy that life in the parish, that everyone is the same. And what we could do is we could be a community who says to one another, hey, you're, you're really good at X, you're really gifted at Y, and it's really encouraging to me. It really builds me up, encourages me to see it, and I long to be more like you in that area. My, uh, my kids, uh, they are eight, seven, four, no, three, oh, no. Um, <laughs> Chelsea, I didn't say, my fingers, four, okay, they're four, eight, seven, four. Um, Amanda doesn't know that happens. Uh, this is staying in this room right here. Um, 
every night we, we, we pray together, uh, and while we're praying together, my kids ask this question. They say, hey, hey, hey Daddy, say two, two things you like about each one of us. Say two things you like about each one of us. Sometimes I do serious things, and sometimes they want funny. Like, Easton especially is like, no, 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 make it funny. Uh, like, <laughs> tell me I've got 47 ears, and, but what's the point? They, they want specific targeted affirmation that I love them, that I know them, and that they belong here. Why? Because it's woven into us. It's woven into you and me to be affirmed in the image of God. And it's good for us to see that we're different because we're different so that we can all be better together. It's for the common good. It's not to show your deficiencies. It's to show the other's gifting so that we can all be who we are meant to be together. That is the beauty of it. So what do I do with this? What do we do with this? I'm going to give you two action steps before we uh, leave. Action step one, well, here they are. Personally resolve, communally practice. Personally resolve. Resolve to be someone who speaks life into one another. Resolve to be somebody whose words build one another. Uh, be, resolve to be someone that blesses and doesn't curse. Resolve to use your words to communicate love and acceptance, not disapproval of one another. Resolve to see people that most do not see and articulate it. Resolve to be a person of blessing. Communally practice. This is going to get awkward, and I don't care. Find people in your life who you can sit around with who really know you and communicate to one another the ways in which they encourage you, the ways in which you encourage them. Speak life into one another. Spouses do this together. Roommates do this together. Parishes Here's your, uh, I don't, you know, the next parish gathering that you have, here's what you're going to do. Our parish leaders don't know this. I'm sorry. I just thought of this a couple days ago. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a few minutes to sit in that awkward circle, and you're going to speak life into one another. You're going to look around the room, and you're going to say, you are good at X, and we see it, and we acknowledge it, and we thank you for it because we're a better parish because of it. We're going to look one another in the eye and we're going to speak life into one another. We're going to distribute blessing to one another. That's what we're going to do. It's going to feel uncomfortable for some of us. Don't care. We're going to practice it together so we can be this together. We're going to be this kind of community, a community of blessing. It is the community God created. God created Adam and Eve to be a community of blessing. We're going to be the world that he created. We're going to learn to live into the world he created, being that world, one where our words are used to build up, not tear down, one where our wounds are the wounds of a friend meant to create scars that are signs of healing, one where our words push one another toward Jesus, not pull one another away from him. We're going to be a community where you can be known, loved, and wanted all at the same time. Let's pray. Father, I, I know that there are some of us in this room who hearing words known, loved, and wanted 
just evoke feelings of that's not true. It's not true. I am not known, loved, or wanted. I pray that they know they can be. I pray we'd be a community that articulates to one another. You are known, you are loved, you are wanted, that the world we all dream to live in can actually be lived inside this community. And for those on the fringes wondering, do I belong here? Oh, oh, would you step in and find out that you do. To those who have been wounded by loosely spoken words of a friend, pray we wouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And we know that there are times when our words are greater reflections of your love for us than others. May we be this kind of community, a community of blessing, blessing to one another. May we know that we love one another because we love one another because we love one another. And we don't need another reason. We don't need shared affinity. We don't need to like the same sports or be in the same life stage because we have Jesus and together because of him we can love one another because we love one another because we love one another. We can live into that. May that be us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.